Good evening. How are we? We good? For those of you who showed up to hear Dr. Young, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'll promise to try not to make it so bad that you leave in the middle of it. Uh, it is good to be here. It really is. It's a privilege uh, any time to get to um, come and, and teach God's Word. And uh, I didn't know if I would know anybody here, but since I've been here, I've, I've seen a few familiar faces. And Memphis is a small town, and there's everybody knows everybody. My wife and I are not from here. We're both from Texas. So everywhere we go in Memphis is new for us. It's good to know that y'all know some of the same people that we know. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 24. That's a different Joshua. I didn't write this myself. This guy's a little bit older than I am. Uh, but we're going to spend a few minutes uh, in here. And I want to talk tonight about the idea of renewing our vows. And I'm not talking about marriage. I'm guessing, looking around the room, the vast majority of us uh, are married. So we, we understand something about vows, about committing ourselves uh, to something. D- does anybody in here remember their vows? Can anybody stand up and recite their vows? Uh, maybe a few of you. I saw a hand go down really quickly when I asked about reciting your vows. Yeah, but, but we, we all know that the reality of the strength of our marriages, and I know maybe not all of us are married, but uh, we're all adults. We understand the idea of marriage and vows. The strength of our marriages, the quality of our marriages, is probably based on how well you're living out your vows day in and day out, whether or not you know that's what you're doing. However many years ago it was, you took vows and you committed yourself to be a certain kind of person and to act in a certain kind of way towards your spouse. And the quality of your marriage is probably how well each of you are living that out. Well, as I began to reflect on that, I began to see that the Bible talks about our relationship with the Lord uh, as a bigger and more fundamental covenant relationship than even our relationship with our spouse, that The Bible talks about us being married to the Lord, that Jesus is our bridegroom, that we're his bride, that God has entered into covenant relationship with us, that we've we've taken vows. He he has promised to be certain things to us and for us, and, and we've responded in faith by committing ourselves with vows to be certain kinds of people and to live in a certain kind of way. In the same way with our marriages, it's true with our Christian lives that most likely the quality of our Christian life, if we want to say it that way, is based on how consistently we're renewing our vows to the Lord. And so tonight, I want to look at Joshua 24, uh, a little episode that Joshua leads the people of Israel through. And I I want us to uh, consider renewing our vows again tonight to the Lord. And I'm, I'm not talking about like recommitting your life to Christ. I'm just talking about coming face to face again with the reality of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ and letting that overflow into the way that we live the rest of our lives. And so if I have one hope tonight, this is it, is that each of us would walk away with a greater awareness of how, how faithful God has been to you as your God. And as a result, that we would be more wholly devoted to him in all of our lives. So I'm going to read Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. We'll just read to verse 18. I'm going to pray. We'll make a few observations. And then I've heard a bunch about this dessert thing that's going to happen after this. And so we're going to get to that as soon as we can. Uh, This is Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. 
and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Let's pray together. Father, we would ask that tonight you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things uh, from this portion of your word, and that as a result, we would see who you are more clearly, and that we would respond as we ought to respond, with faith, with repentance, and with obedience. So to that end, we commit ourselves and pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I've got two simple points tonight, uh, not three, just two, okay? The first one is this. Uh, that if we're going to renew our vows, we have to respond in faithfulness to God's faithfulness. We respond in faithfulness to God's faithfulness to us. I, I love what Joshua says here when he starts. He says, now, now therefore. Okay, so, so we've, we've got to figure out what's, what's going on in this passage. And if you were to start in Joshua chapter 23 and read the verses through chapter 23 up to where we are in chapter 24, and if you were to read the whole book of Joshua, basically what you would see is you would see an unfolding story of God being faithful to do exactly what he said he would do for the nation of Israel. And, and that's what he recounts very specifically in the chapter and a half leading up to this. He reminds them that, hey, from the very beginning, I've been the God that I have promised to be. I promise to be your God. I promise to make you my people. If you remember Abraham, I led Abraham out of the land, right? I gave him a son even when he and Sarah were too old to have children. I, I took your people, and even though they were slaves in Egypt, I, I rescued them out of Egypt. When they got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army were bearing down on them and it looked like there was no hope, I intervened and I saved my people because I made promises to you to be your God and to settle you in this land and I'm never not going to fulfill one of my promises. So I did that. And even though some of your friends were faithless and I told them to go over to the promised land and they didn't go, I said only this generation isn't going to enter. But now you, Joshua, have led all of these people into the promised land. I've defeated all of your enemies before you. And starting in chapter 23, it said the Lord had given them rest from all of their enemies. And he begins to recount for them, the Lord did this for you, the Lord did this for you, the Lord did this for you. Even when you were faithless, the Lord fulfilled his promises for you. The history of the Christian faith and of your life is that God has been faithful to you. He's made promises to you to be your God, to sustain you, to preserve you, and to save you. And our lives are one big testimony that God has done that. And, and that's what he's been reminding the people of. And that's the context when he says, now, therefore, serve the Lord. And the point of that is that we can't forget that our faithfulness to God, which is expected, is always in response to what God has first done for us. God is always first, and we always respond in faithfulness to him. We're, we're not passive 
but we're, we're in response mode. We never get to jump on God. Like, like we never show up and I'm like, hey, Lord, I'm here to pursue you. And he's like, oh, man, I didn't even know you guys were coming. Like, like he's always first. And even when it looks like we get to jump on him, we realize on the back end, no, God was at work long before we ever got there. God was being faithful to me and wooing me to himself long before I ever gave him a single thought. God has made promises and he's fulfilling these promises. This is what the apostle John writes late in his life. We, we love because God first loved us. His love for us is primary, it's first, and we respond out of that love into a life of faithfulness to this God that has loved us so well. The key for us then, if we're going to renew our vows and live in faithfulness, is is we've got to stop long enough and consistent enough to be reminded and to remember what exactly God has done for us. When you think about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, it begins to stir your heart up into wanting to respond in faithfulness to him. When you think about the fact that God pursued you and you were a rebel against him, whether you were a young child or an adult like, like I was when you came to faith, when you think that God brought you out of darkness and, and, and brought you into his marvelous light, when he forgave all of your transgressions, when he didn't just forgive you, he brought you near and gave you a, a righteous record that lets you lay claim on, on God's life in Jesus Christ, when you think about his promise to preserve you and giving you his word and giving you his people here in this life, and then one day in glory, we're going to have unhindered access to the throne room of God, to, to live and dwell in God's presence in total perfection, to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. When I, when I stop long enough, even now as I think about it, it just makes me want to go, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to respond in faithfulness to you. It stirs me up to faithfulness. And therefore, the the Christian life for me is no longer based on how I feel in the subjective environment around me, but it's based on the objective reality that in Jesus Christ, God has been really, really good to me. It's no longer based on how do I feel today And then out of that, I'll pursue Jesus with some level. It's, no, no matter how I feel, this is who God is. This is what God has done for me. And I respond to that in in a way that's worthy by saying, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to live for you with all of my life. And then the Christian life is lived under the umbrella of God's grace. All of my life is is lived under the umbrella that, that God says over me, you are my dearly loved son, and in you I am well pleased. And when I hear the Father say that to me, when you hear the Father say that to you, it, it stirs up this bold confidence to pursue Jesus faithfully. And so if we're going to renew our vows, we've got to be stopping long enough and consistent enough to hear the Lord say to you, I love you. You make me happy. I delight over you. I've paid it all. In Jesus Christ, you're secure now and forever. I have saved you. I'm saving you. I will save you because it's, it's based on me and my character, and I will not let myself down. When I stop long enough to do that, it stirs me up. Nothing motivates faithfulness like a remembrance of who God is and what he's done for me in Jesus. I love this quote by a guy named George Mueller, an old Englishman, I believe, In one of his works, he said this, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. When we think about it in this context, it makes a lot of sense. The first and great business with which I ought to attend myself every day is to make my soul happy 
in the Lord. And here's the reality. When I do that, I I don't come into all the relationships and the tasks of my life, my wife, my children, my job, my friends, my neighborhood, the city, the world, needing to get something from them and therefore asking them to serve me. I come to them overflowing with the life of God in me, and now I'm ready to serve and to give myself away because I'm not looking to you to be God for me. God has satisfied me in himself. I I remember what he's done for me, and now I'm just stirred up to faithfully pouring my life out for others. On the good days, that's why I get up and get in the Word in the morning when it's still dark before anything else has happened. There's plenty of days I get up and get in the Word for a lot of wrong reasons, I'm assuming, but on the good days, this is why. So that I can see Jesus Christ face to face. So that I can be reminded who he is. So that the father can say to me, son, this is who you are. Now go live in the fullness of this. And so that I can respond in all of my life to be faithful to the Lord. The the primary battle that we're fighting is the battle for our heart's affections. And the only way to fight that battle well is to start really early in the morning. and to have the Lord satisfy me in him so that I'm not just running around looking to be satisfied in all these other things. So if I'm going to respond in faithfulness, I've got to stop long enough to let the Lord's faithfulness overwhelm my life. Here's what that means. That means I've got to be placing myself under the waterfalls of God's grace consistently. If, if I'm going to find my soul happy in the Lord, if I'm going to experience the Lord's love for me and respond in faithfulness, then I've got to be placing myself actively under the waterfall of God's grace. Uh, here's where God has promised to meet you. Okay? He has said that when you, when you open my word, I will meet you there. In my words, I will attend to them and they'll be useful. They'll be living and active. It'll be sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll go out. It'll accomplish the the reasons for which I've sent it. Uh, This this is why we do devotional lives. Not because that's what good Christians do. That's really boring, and that gets old. We we do it because this is where God said he'll be. Because when I I open his word, he he shows up to me. Uh, I often tell my Sunday school class back at Second Pres, this is why we come to worship. This is why we make Sunday morning a priority because God has promised things about that hour of the week that no other hour of the week can provide. No matter what else we do in our Christian lives, there is no substitute for the smorgasbord of grace that God has promised to lay out before you as you gather with his people to worship on Sunday mornings. That that is God's discipleship plan for you. And everything else that you're doing in your life is supposed to flow from that and flow to that. that. That's the buffet of God's grace. Gathering with God's people, being called into his worship, singing his praise that's uh, littered with the word, sitting under the preached word, seeking him in prayer for yourselves and for the world, and then being sent out with his benediction to go and to live in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given you. There's no substitute for that. This isn't a substitute for that. This is great. I love this. I'll come back anytime. I think hopefully y'all have a good time. But there's no substitute in this for gathering with God's people in worship, placing ourselves under the waterfall of God's grace. And the more we do that, the more we interact with God in his word personally, as a family, in groups, and ultimately in worship, we're cultivating an awareness of God's faithfulness to us. 
And that awareness stirs us up to want to be faithful to him. So if, if we're going to renew our vows, then we've got to stop long enough to say, Lord, remind me who you are. Remind me what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that kindling that gets gathered around my heart, set it on fire with a fire that burns deeply and, and very, very hot for you. So we respond in faithfulness to God's faithfulness. Notice how Israel responds. They've just been told the gospel. Joshua's been sharing the gospel with them, the history of, of God's people, how God has been faithful to save them and to rescue them and to bring them into his presence in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then here's how they respond in verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, on and on. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord. They, they, they responded rightly. They, the gospel came to them. They, they heard it. They took it in and they say, far be it from us that, that we wouldn't serve the Lord faithfully in response to his grace to us. And that's what God has promised to do when the gospel invades our hearts. He nurtures and promotes a faithful response to him. So if we're going to renew our vows, we've got uh, to respond faithfully to God's faithfulness to us. Secondly and finally, we must choose not to settle for divided devotion. If we're going to renew our vows, we've got to choose not to settle for divided devotion. Um, a couple of rhetorical questions you don't have to answer. I'm guessing the answers will be quite plain. So there's some wives in here tonight, right? How many of you wives would be okay if your husband committed half of his allegiance to you and promised to only keep one mistress? Any, would any of you wives take that deal? Any takers? Like just one mistress, not two, just one. None of you wives would take that. I, I didn't think you would. Men, how many of you would be okay if one of your employees or one of your coworkers decided that half the time they would work hard to promote the vision, the direction, the goals of your business, but then the rest of the time they worked with your competitors to undermine you? How many of you would be like, man, that's the employee I'm looking for. Sign me up. Anybody taking resumes for that job? None of you are. How many of you as parents would be okay if your kids told you that they were only going to listen to you 50% of the time? Some of you laugh because you're like, that would be a huge victory. <laughs> a huge victory. But, but in our hearts, we know, no, the, the goal is that we create homes where our children obey us and they learn to obey the Lord and all those things. And 50% allegiance and devotion, we laugh at these things because of how foolish the questions are. But then for some reason, this is what I do. I think in the, my relationship with the Lord, for whatever reason, he should be okay with half-hearted devotion. He should be okay with me saying, Lord, I am going to be faithful to you, but I've got these mistresses and I want you to be okay with that. Lord, I've got these other loves that I'm going to place above you. These other idols, these other things that are going to steal my heart's devotion. I just I want you to be okay with that. I mean, there's grace, right? I mean, I don't think that would fly with my wife, but for some reason we, we want that to fly with the Lord. So I want us to notice that as we respond to God's faithfulness, he calls us into a life of undivided devotion to him. In verse 14, we're, we're told that we're, we're to respond to God's faithfulness in a variety of ways. We're called to fear God. We're called to serve God. That's what he says. Now, fear the Lord and serve him. That word serve there, it's used a bunch of times in this passage. It's a word used throughout the Old Testament, and it has worship uh, connotations to it. It's used uh, of the priests as they minister and serve in the temple. They're serving God. 
They're worshiping God. They're devoting themselves to Him. They're revering Him. He's the object of their devotion and their worship. But what I love as well is that it also says, not only should you actively pursue fearing me and serving me, you should also actively pursue putting away the other idols that you have in your life. When I said yes to Jen 12 and a half years ago, what I also was saying was no to every other woman. I was saying yes to her, and I was saying no to everybody else. And and that's kind of what the Lord's talking about here. Say yes to me and constantly say no to all the other things that fight for your heart's allegiance. That's the Christian life. Learning to more faithfully say yes to Jesus in response to his work and his grace and learning to more faithfully say no to the things that fight for my allegiance uh, to him. That is a good picture of the Christian life. And, and what happens when we do this is, is everything else kind of falls into its rightful place. I have a lot of things in my life, good things, that the Lord isn't necessarily asking me to get rid of. He's just asking me to reorder them around him. And so I told my Sunday school class a few weeks ago when we were talking about this, there, there's some, there are guys in my class that really like to golf. Maybe there's some golfers in here. Maybe there's some hunters, some other hobby. I said, there's a way to be an avid golfer and to leverage it for Jesus's sake. And a lot of guys perked up and were like, what, really? You know, it's like, yeah, did you know there's a way to really do your career really well and Jesus be honored by it? There's a way to do your career really intensely and Jesus not to be honored by it as well. The difference may not be that you work less hours or more hours. The difference may be what's going on in my heart in regards to this thing. There's a way to love and serve my kids really, really faithfully for Jesus' sake. And there's a way to serve them that puts them at the center of everything and tells them that they're God and then just sets them up for a life of destruction because they think the world revolves around them. There's a way to love my wife and leverage it for the sake of Jesus. There's a way that to love my wife that places her at the center of it. And we could go on and on to all of the different things that are in our lives. When we fear the Lord and serve him and put away the other things, we begin to order the things in our life around serving Jesus Christ. What we might find is Jesus does say to a while, hey, you need to put your golf game away for a while. It's a little too big at this point. He might just teach us how to reorder it. But again, that's up to Jesus. We're now ordering these things around him. So we're, we're called to respond to God's faithfulness by faithfully serving and fearing him and putting away the other things. So the question for us tonight is, what are the things that fight for your heart's allegiance? What are the things that in your heart you're, you're giving undue devotion and allegiance to over and against Jesus? And then just bring those things out and say, Jesus, do something with this. He might tell you to put it away. Uh, with, in the case of my wife and my kids, he's not going to tell me to put them away. He's going to say, there's a way to do this that honors me in a way that promotes their good and sets them on a trajectory towards me rather than a, on a trajectory back in towards themselves. And that's the key for us as we respond in faithfulness, reordering our lives around Jesus Christ. I want us to notice as well that, that all of us have to make a choice. Uh, Joshua, rather, tells Israel, choose this day whom you're going to serve. The question for us is not if we're going to be worshipers. The question for us is what or whom are we going to worship? That's that's really the question for us. 
We're, we're worshipers. <laughs> You're a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. It's woven into the fabric of how God created us to give ourselves away for something. The biggest 12 churches in the world are located in the Southeast Conference. <laughs> Houses of worship where people gather to give themselves away to something. No, no offense to you. I'm a Big 12 fan. I'm sure there's some SEC fans in the house. We can, we can argue about that later. But the point is, we're all worshipers. We're all prone to go, oh, I love that. And I want to give everything that I have, my time, my energy, my money to that, to promote its success. So the question for us is not will we, it's what will we worship? And the thrust of this passage is that only God, only Yahweh, only the covenant God that's been good to us is actually worth our worship. He's the only one that's going to fulfill his promises. He's the only one that's going to give us the life that we're actually looking for. All of these other gods may satisfy us for a season, but then one day they're going to leave us empty and they're going to leave us hungry. They're going to promise cold water after a long run midsummer. And we're going to put the glass to our lips to find that it's warm salt water. And it doesn't go down and satisfy the thirst. It actually causes worse feelings of hunger within us. We're left hungrier than we were when we started. But the Lord Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary or heavy loved. Come drink from the water of life, and I will satisfy you to the uttermost. That's the thrust of this. Remember who your God is. Remember what he's promised to do. Remember how he's already done that. Look at your own life of how faithful God has been to you. He alone is worth your undivided attention and devotion. Final little thing to notice here. And if I can, I want to speak just for a moment specifically to... Uh, men and fathers. I know we have a lot of men and fathers in the room. And I, I don't want to discount the incredibly important role that women have to play. So that's not what's going on here. I just want to notice something from the passage about what Joshua says, the role that Joshua takes. Um, and and here's, my, here's my thesis. I firmly believe that um, the church and that families in America, and probably in Memphis specifically, are, uh, are struggling because men, because daddies like me and husbands like me have abdicated their responsibility to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think that's one of the greatest epidemics facing my own home. <laughs> one of the greatest epidemics facing the church is men who have said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve a whole bunch of different things. We're going to serve our careers. We're going to serve our finances. We're going to serve one another. We're going to serve our children. We're going to serve our retirement. We're going to serve, and just, and just fill in the blank with the millions of other things that, that could fill that blank. I think the church is suffering from a lack of men that say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm willing to bet that every woman in this room, every member of this church, would gladly follow a bunch of men who said, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, and they do it like this. I think, I, think, I think women and children and other men would gladly line up to follow men ferociously committed to Jesus like this. And I think that's the call here. And what I love about this is, is Joshua makes this declaration before Israel responds. He's saying, my, my commitment to this has nothing to do with whether or not the millions of you in Israel will follow through, even if I'm the only one. 
Even if we get ostracized from Israel as a result, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Even even if it costs me friends, even if it costs me social groups, whatever, whatever the consequences are, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua knew that the calling upon him as a man, as a dad, as a husband, was to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I want to take this as a personal challenge to begin evaluating my life. And the good news about this, again, is the the umbrella of God's grace is over you. So you can be honest like me to say, hey, there's areas of my life where, where I'm not saying that. There's seasons in my history of being a husband and a dad where I've not done this well. Like if you brought my wife up here, she's an incredibly kind and gracious person. She would tell you I'm the greatest husband and father in the whole world, and she would be lying through her teeth. Just like all of you would know, you would hate to have your wives stand up in public because they would have to lie about you to, to protect you from shame, right? There's been seasons in my life where, where I've not ordered my family like this, but I want to, and because of the gospel, I'm free to admit that. I'm free to say, no, help me, Lord. Help me, I need your grace to, to get me through this again. All of this is a response to God's grace. For Joshua, faithfulness to Yahweh trumped everything. It was his whole life. It was the anchor that he put in the ground and said everything's going to revolve around this. One thing's an ideal, another thing is living it out. That's the call for us to figure out, Lord, how do I do this? Motivate me by your grace to pursue this repentantly. So we respond to God's faithfulness in faithfulness ourselves. We choose not to settle for a divided devotion. And I want to finish just by asking the practical question, what does it look like to serve the Lord? You know, he says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. What does it look like to serve the Lord. And, and I thought of a few things. I think one thing it means is it's, it's not an arbitrary uh, alliance like I have with some of my favorite sports teams. Like if something's going on and I can't catch the game and something else happens, or if I change my mind in a few years and want to start rooting for a different team, like some people might heckle me a little bit, but at the end of the day, like that's okay. It, it's basically arbitrary. I just, I just kind of get to choose my level of allegiance based on that day. That's that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about agreeing to the, the terms of this, this allegiance. God has spoken and said, this is what it's like to be in covenant relationship with me and to serve him. We serve him as he has uh, told us how to serve him. I think one of the things it means is, is a commitment to do what he says, a commitment to obey his word. You know, I mean, Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself said, if you, if you love me, You'll obey my commandments. Love to Jesus is expressed in acts of faithful obedience. Remember, we're under the gospel umbrella, but that doesn't negate our our call to faithfully obey him. I think it means a commitment to order our lives around the worship of God, personally, privately, as a family, corporately, to live lives of worship to the Lord. That's what he's called us to. I think it means a commitment to God's causes in the world that we take our marching orders of our causes from the Lord. Here's what that, that means. That means we don't take our causes primarily from the news stations that we like the most, from the political party that we've aligned ourselves with. Here's what it also means, that if somebody within my political party is advocating for a cause contrary to the Bible. I don't, I don't stay quiet. I, I would even oppose somebody in my own political party, as crazy as that sounds, right? Why? Because I, my allegiance is to the Lord. 
And the Lord says, I want steadfast love and justice and righteousness to rain down. So I'm going to be about justice, whether they're liberals or, or, or conservatives or Republicans or Democrats or young or old or black or white or any of that. None of those things matter because what transcends them all is that the covenant Lord has caused me to be about his business of bringing his kingdom to bear on this earth. So I take my causes from the Lord. I say, Lord, show me my marching orders and I'll, I'll respond faithfully. And then finally, I think it means a commitment to God's mission in the world. At the heart of being drawn into covenant with God is what he told Abraham in Genesis 12. We've been blessed for ourselves, right? No, we've been blessed to be a blessing so that all the nations and all the families of the earth will be blessed through us. And that's a hard thing for me to, to grapple with is God's blessing of me isn't primarily for me. It's a secondary benefit. God's blessing of me is primarily for others. The Christian life is a life lived for others. So to be in covenant with God is to live a life of extending God's gracious dealing with the world as far as the curse is found. And so I think this is how we respond in faithfulness and undivided devotion to the Lord. We've, we've got to remember who God is. We've got to respond in faithfulness to that. And we've got to fight with everything the Lord provides Uh, to live lives of total devotion to him. Here's what God promises when we do that. He promises to show up and to make the gospel and to make the church really, really attractive. If you guys want a church that the city of Memphis says we, we couldn't do without that church, then I think this is what it looks like. To be people so radically in love with Jesus that every neighborhood in our city is blessed as a result of us just being here. That's God using us to bless the nations around us. That's my hope for me and my family, and that's my hope for you. So let's pray. Let's commit this to the Lord. We'll eat some ice cream or whatever they've got next. Father, we we would confess that, I would confess that, uh, Lord, your, your word lays a heavy burden in a good way upon us to respond in this way to your great love for us. Thank you, O oh God, for your great love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us expressed chiefly in Jesus Christ who came and lived among us and died for us, rose again from the dead to secure our salvation. Father, help us to be honest about our lives under the umbrella of your grace. Help us to respond faithfully as we ought. Help us this week, Lord, to uh, pursue making our souls happy in you. Father, cause those around us to be blessed as a result of our presence because the life that Jesus is pouring into us is overflowing to them. Uh, Lord, make us, make us your people, people who know the Lord and respond and bless others. We commit ourselves to you to that end, and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all very much. It's been a joy to be with you all.